Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa and by Stuart Weir on the show. This week we talk about the qualifiers for the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations and we hear from South Africa forward Lyle Foster who moved to English Championship leaders Burnley in January. To be honest, like I still pinch myself quite a lot to see if it's true or not. But That's coming shortly. Also we look back on the career of the 2008 African Footballer of the Year, Emmanuel Adebayor, with the Togolese forward announcing his retirement a few days ago. Also we analyse Crystal Palace's decision to sack manager Patrick Vieira. But first, we have qualifiers for the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations on for the next few days. These are the third and fourth rounds of group games with some very hot players in action, like Ivory Coast Frank Kessia, who got the winner for Barcelona in the El Clasico against Real Madrid last weekend. Ivory Coast host Comoros on Friday and then play them away on Tuesday. The teams are playing the same opponents twice in these rounds of games. Nigeria play Guinea-Bissau twice. Uh, Ghana had to work very hard against Angola in Kumasi uh, with a stoppage time winner for a 1-0 victory there for the Black Stars. Uh, Zambia beat Lesotho also on Thursday by three goals to one and a great victory for South Sudan as they won 2-1 away to Congo-Brazzaville. It looks uh, exciting between Sierra Leone and Sao Tome and Principe. Intriguing with the first game there ending in a 2-2 draw before they meet again in a few days' time. Uh, Egypt's opponents are Malawi. Cameroon will be playing Namibia twice in the coming days. So South Africa have two games against Liberia and one of Bafana Bafana's star players is Lyle Foster, a 22-year-old forward who plays for Burnley in the English Championship. Now with Burnley in a 13-point lead, they're almost certain to be back in the English Premier League next season, meaning that Foster could become the first South African in the Premier League in quite a while. Now the likes of Lucas Radebe, Benny McCarthy, Aaron McQuenna, Stephen Pienaar, Mark Fish and Sean Bartlett are all South Africans who've shone in the Premier League in the past. But since Pienaar left Everton and then Sunderland around six years ago, there's been very little South African presence there. Uh, Percy Tau joined Brighton a couple of years ago but hardly featured for the Seagulls and left for Al Atli in Egypt. Now, Lyle Foster is working with the great Vincent Compagnie, who's the Burnley coach. Foster joined Burnley from Vesteloo in Belgium in January for what is believed to be a transfer fee record for a South African of around $7.6 million. Well, in this audio from the South African Football Association, Romy Titus spoke to Foster and first asked about the feeling of moving to Burnley. To be honest, like I still pinch myself quite a lot to see if it's true or not. But yeah, I mean, to be yeah honest, I'm just really grateful to be in the position that I'm in. I'm thankful for the opportunity that I've been given to to showcase my talents. Um, I think in one of the best leagues in the world and in a country where I've always dreamed of playing and also being back um, with the national team again after missing two camps, I think is the cherry on top and. Yeah, just so happy right now. 
We're talking about 208 million rand. That's basically the number that has been bandied about. You know, mm. it's like biggest move ever. And then you take a look at the, at the amount of money. Mm. What do you focus on? Well, for me, I think number one is to stay true to myself and stay true to who I am. Um, I think I got to this point by, by doing just that. And um, yeah, most importantly, I, I hear the price tag a lot and I know it's a heavy one um, being the most expensive South African, but I try not to focus too much on the things that I can't control, um, the negotiations and that sort of thing and the price and all of that. All I can control is my performance on the pitch and that's what I look forward to the most, what I wake up wanting to do every day, which is play football. So yeah, for me, I'm just focused on playing football and I want to make headwaves playing football by scoring goals and by showing that us South Africans can do it and hopefully we can have a lot more South Africans there as well. So that's my main focus, my main priority. Let's work backwards quickly and talk about that goal that you scored against Wigan, the third one there, yeah. winning 3-0 at the end of it. Yeah. That must, I mean, take me through that feeling of euphoria yeah. when you finally get what it is that you want to mm. do right. So yeah, I got a few minutes um, before that I started, I think, two FA Cup games and to be fair, I missed a few chances and yeah, this ball just dropped down and I thought to myself, like, I'll just hit it as hard as I can and luckily for me it went in and um, two days before that the coach and I had a conversation and he just told me to, to be free to enjoy my football and the goals will start coming and two days later in the game I scored my first goal which was for me a huge relief and uh, lots of joy, just pure joy in that moment, um, realizing that I'm there and that it's happened and that I can do it, I think was was a big factor for me. So, yeah, just really proud of the moment and, um, yeah, like I said, just super, super grateful. What happens? What happens in that moment uh, when you do find the back of the net? I mean, describe for me that feeling. Um, yeah, like when, like I said, I just hit the ball as hard as I can with my left foot and I seen it go in and I don't know, it's like everything goes faster when the ball is going in the net. <laughs> I'm just thinking like, yes, it's in and like the first thing I do is like I scream to God how great he is and um, yeah, I just run off in pure joy and like packing myself and feeling the love and the support of all my teammates who were very happy for me, which was something nice as well. And yeah, like I said, just pure, pure joy. Like I, I don't know how to explain it. Like there's... Not many better things in life than scoring <laughs> goals. It goes by so fast, but it's definitely super addictive. Mm. Yeah. Your debut, let's talk through that. And obviously the nerves that come with that. Yeah. I saw you, I watched you. Yeah. You had your headsets on, yeah. you made your way in. What's playing in that headset? And um, most importantly, what's happening in that head? Yeah, so just playing some, some gospel music usually just gives me a bit of peace before games. Um, yeah, I won't lie. I think I, I arrived two days before the before the game, and I was actually very surprised to be to be in the squad, um, traveling with the team for the first time. I'm trying also to pick up the the Belgian thread. Yeah. Uh, Westlow, uh, you go to Burnley. Mm. There's Vincent Company. Mm. There's our coach Hugo Bros, yeah. who then coached Company, mm. and it's a lovely little. I don't know if it's a circle, yeah. uh, but but a nice connect if, yeah. you, if you think about it yeah. that way. Beyond that, as well, like my head coach at Westerlo, um, 
he was the assistant of Vincent Company when he was the coach at Anderlecht. So it's pretty much all linked, I think. Yeah, I had a few other offers as well, but the moment I had Vincent and just like you said, like how it's so connected with, with my coach, with him being Belgian, with him coming to come and watch my game. And now even you, like coach Hugo being his first coach, like Matt was just set on it and it felt like the right move for me. And um, when I knew they came to the party and I saw the project that they had and watching their games, I just instantly fell in love and wanted to see myself. I saw myself and luckily for me, I was able to, to make the move happen. That's South Africa forward Lyle Foster, who plays for Burnley in the English Championship, speaking to Romy Titus, that audio from the South Africa Football Association. Uh, Lots on the AFCON qualifiers on next week's show. It's Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, and as well as the Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers, the final round of qualifiers for the under-23 AFCON is on too in these coming days. The finals are on in Morocco in June and July. The top three teams at the finals there qualify for the 2024 Olympics. Matches are on up to next Tuesday. Defending champions Egypt beat Zambia 2-0 in their first leg on Wednesday. Senegal beat Mali 3 3-1. Nigeria were held to a goalless draw by Guinea in their first leg on Wednesday. And the CAF Champions League is nearing the end of the group stage. The final group games are on next weekend. The ten-time champions, Al Athli of Egypt, are still in it. Uh, they won 4-0 away to Cotton Spore in Cameroon. And Mamelodi Sundowns of South Africa did them a favour with a 1-1 draw away to Al Hilal of Sudan. So a win at home to Al Hilal will see Al Athli qualify on head-to-head record. Sundowns top of Group B on 11 points, Al Hilal on 10 and Al on seven points. Now, African football legend Emmanuel Adebayor has announced his retirement. The Togo striker is 39. He was the 2008 African Footballer of the Year, and his clubs include Arsenal, Tottenham, Real Madrid and Monaco. Uh, no doubt either that Adebayor is up there among Africa's very best. You know, Steve, only three African players have scored more English Premier League goals than Adebayo's 97. We're talking Chelsea's Didier Drogba with 104. Sadio Mane in his stints at Liverpool and Southampton collectively at 111. And Liverpool striker Mohamed Salah at 131. Only those three. Look, Adebayo might not have a lot of winner's medals. He never won any major title, as a matter of fact. But he did lift the 2010 Copa del Rey. That was with Real Madrid. And as you've pointed out, he won the 2008 African Footballer of the Year and was named in the PFA Premier League Team of the Year. But Steve, his story is more colorful than most. He played for some of the biggest clubs and he wasn't known for very long stints at any particular place. He featured for both sides of North London with Arsenal and Tottenham. But one of the most notable, one of the most memorable moments of his career came with his switch 
from Arsenal to Manchester City. That was back in 2009 for 25 million pounds. And that was something that many gunners took to heart. Some still do, actually, depending on who you talk to. And many looked at it as a massive, massive betrayal. And what did the big man do to rub salt into their wounds? He scored against them and then celebrated wildly. Steve, it's such a big moment that he captured it in his retirement announcement video posted on his Instagram. And it's a pretty short video. So the fact that he included that just shows how big it still is to him and just very tongue in cheek (laughs) in seemingly Adebayo fashion. He also had stints at Crystal Palace and spells in Turkey and Paraguay. And ultimately, he finished off his career at home in Togo. Nationally, he did represent his country 88 times and he scored 32 goals. Yeah, great career. And Adebayor's career had plenty of controversies too. Who can forget that celebration against Arsenal, Steve? When he scored for City proceeded to run the full length of the pitch just to celebrate in front of the Arsenal stand. (laughs) I mean, what a character. The stadium went wild, projectiles, a chair was thrown, I believe. He was booked, he was consequently suspended for two games, and he was fined £25,000. Definitely ranks in the most controversial Premier League celebrations for many. (laughs) And uh, that two-match ban was topped by the three-match ban he got for stumping on former Arsenal teammate Robin Van Persie. Steve Adebayo had many run-ins on the pitch. Red cards were nothing new to him. He even fought with his fellow teammates. He and then-teammate Nicholas Bettner almost came to blows one time. It was in a 5-1 loss to Tottenham. Talk about self-destruction. And Bentner later explained that he and Adebayo had actually never got on this, despite the fact that they sat next to one another in the dressing room and that their clash on the pitch that day was the culmination of many days of tension, you know, catalyzed, of course, by the team's horrible performance on the day. Steve, the striker was also involved in an event that he calls the worst moment of his life to date. This, as many people know, was before the 2010 Afghan in Angola. And that was when the bus that Togo was traveling in, because they were doing it as a road trip, was attacked by terrorists in Angola. This was two days to the Nations Cup. And a 30-minute gunfight ensued, Steve, between the terrorists and security. Adebayo, well, he said that they took cover under the bus seats and were just lucky to make it out alive. But not all did. Steve, it culminated in the death of three people, the bus driver, a journalist, and an assistant coach, while nine others were injured. So it was a horrific, horrific event. But I will end with Adebayo's own words in his announcement. And I quote, From the highs to the lows, my career as a professional athlete has been an incredible journey. End of quote. And I don't think anyone can argue with that. 
Absolutely. Thanks a lot, uh, Ida. Great career indeed for Emmanuel Adebayor. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart, on the excitement of the English FA Cup quarterfinals. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. And our website is planetsport.tv. In our blog section there, you can read our blog on Are We Expecting Too Much of the VAR? That's on our website, planetsport.tv, in the blog section. Let's go to social media now. And last week on the show, we asked, do we need more football? The FIFA president, Gianni Infantino, says there's a need for way more football after his re-election last week. There will be an expanded 2026 FIFA World Cup with 48 teams, a new 32-team Club World Cup coming up, and the under-17 Boys and Girls World Cups will be played every year. Uh, Player unions and UEFA say there's already too much football, but national teams and clubs from some countries will have a better chance of qualifying for tournaments where there are more slots. So we asked, what do you think? Do we need more football? And reaction was very much divided on this one. We start in the Gambia with Balong Baji, who says more football means more exposure and more experience, which are requirements, especially for young Africans, says Balong. Amadin Kouach in Sudan says, yes, we need more football, especially in African countries. We love it so much. It brings unity and peace, says Madding. Godson Chiedo says, yes, we need more football so that everyone will be involved. Some talented players will have an opportunity to showcase themselves when there's more football to be played. Abdul Rahman Barry is in Liberia and says, yes, we need more football, especially in Africa. And UD in Nigeria says, I think more football will create more avenues for talented youngsters to be showcased. And Sudeko Suno in the Gambia says, yes, we need more football, especially for African youths. It helps our young players to market themselves in Europe and elsewhere, says Sudeko. But on the other hand, Emmanuel Philanthropist in Zambia says, too much of everything is bad. And Chuk's Linus Aikman says, they're not doing this in good faith. There are strings attached in their favor, alleges Chuk's. Habib Musa in Sudan says we don't need more of this. It's enough football already. And as Sufianu Nuhu says, no, the beauty of the game will diminish and the enthusiasm will be lost to some extent if there's more football, says Sufianu. And finally, on a practical note, Usman Jatta in the Gambia says congratulations to Gianni Infantino. However, the expenditure involved in preparing for a tournament is way too expensive for developing economies. If FIFA can provide more support for developing countries, then it will be fair for us, says Usman. Well, thanks so much for all of those comments. Always great to hear from you. And this week on social media, we're asking, was it fair for Crystal Palace to fire Patrick Vieira? There have been mixed reactions to Crystal Palace sacking Patrick Vieira after a 12-match winless run. Uh, Palace haven't won a game this year. 
They're now just three points above the relegation zone, but some feel that Vieira was judged more harshly as he's one of the few black managers at the top level of football. So what do you think? Was it fair for Crystal Palace to fire Vieira? You can go to our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Well, let's go to our European football expert Stuart Weir in the UK now, and uh, what do you make of Vieira's sacking, Stuart? It's sad. It's unjust, but at the same time, it was inevitable. In 2023, under Vieira, Palace played 12 games and won none of them. 12 games and they scored just five goals. While they are 12th in the Premier League table, they are just three points above relegation. And it's hard for me to keep count, Steve, but I think he's the ninth Premier League manager to lose his job this season. Vieira, of course, grew up in Senegal. His father uh, was Senegalese, his mother from Cape Verde, moved to France when he was about eight, uh, chose to represent France for international football. He was one of the greatest players of his generation, playing nine years for Arsenal, Manchester City, Juventus, both Milan clubs finished his career at Manchester City and was immediately given a coaching job. He also coached in New York City at a club associated with Manchester City. Manager of Nice in France for two years before being appointed at Crystal Palace at the beginning of last season. But sadly, he lasted just 18 months. You know, there was real excitement when he was appointed. Great to see a young black manager given his chance in the Premier League. Last season, Palace finished mid-table and he took them to the FA Cup semi-final. But the stakes are so high in the Premier League and the fear of losing your Premier League status was enough to convince the Crystal Palace owners that he needed to go. And as we've been saying over the last week or two, the bottom of the Premier League has never been so tight with so many clubs. I think it's nine clubs separated by just four points. And it's also beaten all records for the number of managers sacked. And only three of the bottom 11 clubs in the Premier League have still got the manager they started the season with just six months ago. We all hoped that Patrick could be the first successful black Premier League manager, but he's gone after a season and a half. Palace have appointed as Vieira's successor, his predecessor, if that makes any sense, Vieira was appointed when Roy Hodgson stood down and Palace have gone back to Hodgson. You can't say that Hodgson lacks experience. Aged 75, he's managed 22 different teams in eight countries, including Liverpool, Fulham, Inter Milan, Switzerland and England. Palace obviously think that his experience is more suited to the dogfight that Palace are now in than a superstar of the game like Vieira. Palace have 10 games to play and incredibly 8 of them are against teams in the bottom half of the table starting with Leicester, Leeds, Southampton and Everton all six-pointers. But you know Steve, I find it quite sad to see Patrick Vieira replaced by a 75-year-old. 
Yeah, absolutely. Such a lot to talk about there. A couple of good results would uh, certainly see Crystal Palace in a, a much uh, better position. And uh, Stuart, um, top of the English Premier League, uh, Arsenal, 10 games to go, eight points clear. Yeah, with uh, several teams playing in the FA Cup last weekend, only seven Premier League games took place and Manchester City were one of those playing in the Cup. So Arsenal took advantage to beat Crystal Palace 4-1 and, as you say, to go eight points clear at the top. OK, City have a game in hand, but it still looks Arsenal's to lose. Arsenal went out of the Europa League and they're knocked out of the FA Cup. And, you know, those might be a blessing in disguise because they've only got the league to concentrate on, whereas, say, Manchester United are still in four competitions. Manchester City still in three. But our running theme of last weekend was late goals. Tottenham, for example, were 3-1 up at Southampton with just 13 minutes to go. And Southampton scored two late goals to get a 3-3 draw. And what made that particularly significant was in his post-match press conference, Antonio Conte had what could only be described as a rant in which he criticised his players for lacking character, for hiding, for making excuses, for being selfish for being more concerned with their own career than the team. It seems unlikely that Conte can recover from that, and I think he will probably leave Tottenham quite soon. And you know, Steve, there are rumours that Tottenham are interested in bringing back Maurizio Pochettino. Hmm. Leeds United moved out of the bottom three with a 4-2 win over fellow Stugglers Wolves, scoring the goal that sealed it seven minutes into stoppage time. Chelsea were twice ahead against Relegation threatened Everton until Everton equalised in the 89th minute. Nottingham Forest thought they'd got a draw with Newcastle, but the Magpies were awarded a penalty three minutes into stoppage time, which Isaac scored. And Aston Villa, 3-0 winners over Bournemouth, looks comfortable, but actually two of their goals came in the last ten minutes. And finally, Steve, Brentford, drawing with Leicester City, didn't have a late goal, but they did have Shandon Baptiste sent off in stoppage time. Yeah, lots of things happening late on in uh, English Premier League games. And uh, the FA Cup uh, quarterfinals last weekend, really exciting games, Stuart. Well, we used to say, Steve, that the FA Cup doesn't have the glamour and status it had when you and I were growing up. But this year's competition, and particularly last weekend's quarterfinals, gave us enough drama and excitement for one season, let alone one weekend. And with Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea and Liverpool already knocked out. The competition looked quite wide open. Manchester City beat Burnley 6-0. Now, Burnley are top of the championship, but they were just blown away by Manchester City. And in the semi-final, Manchester City will play Sheffield United. They beat Blackburn 3-2 with a goal in the 91st minute scored by Tommy Doyle. Now, what makes that really interesting is that Tommy Doyle is a Manchester City player on loan to Sheffield United, which sadly means he won't be allowed to play in the semi-final. But Doyle has a remarkable football pedigree, or rather Manchester City pedigree, since both his grandfathers, Mick Doyle and Lynn Pardo, played for Manchester City in the 1970s. And I can remember them both. Brighton are having... A great season, currently 7th in the league table. And they beat Grimsby from League 2 5-0 in the semi-final. They will meet Manchester United. 
Now, that was quite a game, Manchester United-Fulham. For 70 minutes, Fulham were the better side and were leading 1-0. Then, in 40 seconds of madness, the game changed completely. Jaden Sancho had a shot on goal, which was blocked by Fulham's Brazilian William. The referee was happy with this, but then was instructed to check the TV monitor. And the TV monitor showed clearly that William had stopped the ball with his hand. But before the referee had reached the monitor, Fulham manager Marco Silva started arguing with the referee and was shown a red card. The referee awarded a penalty, red card for William. And then Fulham's Mitrovic walked aggressively towards the referee, argued with him and pushed him. And he was immediately shown a red card. Apparently three red cards in 37 seconds, if you're counting. Fernandes scored the penalty for Manchester United and in the space of four minutes, Fulham went from leading 1-0 to being level without a manager and with just nine players. Manchester United won 3-1. But the semi-finals have really intriguing possibilities. You know, the form guide would say that Manchester United and Manchester City will win to set up a Manchester derby. But in a one-off game, Brighton will fancy their chances against Manchester United. Manchester City will be overwhelming favourites against Sheffield United, except that this is City's fifth consecutive FA Cup semi-final, and they've only won one of the previous four. Quite a fascinating prospect. Indeed, yes. So thanks a lot, Stuart. So no English Premier League or FA Cup action this weekend because of the international break with the Euro qualifiers on and the Africa Cup of Nations ones too. Uh, lots on the AFCON qualifiers on the show next week. But uh, that's it for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare and from Ida Waringa and from Stuart Weir, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.